I want consumers to have a positive experience and to really feel like my real estate agent was amazing and they helped me so much through this process. And, and part of the job of doing it well is it's supposed to look effortless. You're listening to The Real Estate Sessions. I'm your host, Bill Risser. Listen in as I interview leaders in our industry, getting their stories and their journeys to the world of real estate. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 242 of The Real Estate Sessions podcast. As always, thank you so much for tuning in and thank you so much for telling a friend. It's how we continue to grow this little show and and I appreciate the support. Today, Headed back to the RE.net. You've heard me say that a few times. This refers to people that I connected with generally on Twitter back in 08, 07, kind of that time frame. And when when realtors were just getting this social media thing down. And today it's my guest is Maya Paveza. Maya is with Happy Grasshopper. Maya's also just recently, recently taken her license into referral mode for real estate. She's been a realtor for over 20 years, done some incredible stuff in the industry and outside the industry as well. So I can't wait to get her story. Maya, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Bill. Happy to be here. Well, I'm really excited to chat with you. I've, I've used this podcast many different times to go backwards and find people that I have was connected to in the past, right? Through the good old re.net, whatever we want to call it, right? And, and you were a you were a big part of that, a really big part of that. So I'm excited to have you on the show. Thanks, Phil. Yeah, it's exciting. It's, it's nice to go down memory lane and do a little time traveling. And so, you know, I've been I've been listening to a few of the old Arinet crowd on your shows, and I've really enjoyed it. You do a great job, but you've always done oh, a great job. Thanks. Um, let's start with a little, you know, research that I do. Thank, thank you, Internet. It's been mo- <laughs> so much easier than probably when you had to research back in the uh, 90s. But um I knew I know you grew up in California. Yeah, you, you spent some time in school in New York, some time in Washington, but you're currently in Wilmington. So, what does the timeline of that look like? If it's just kind of like, <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a weird one. No, I um I was born at Stanford University, and my dad actually did his residency there. He's a psychiatrist, and then um then they moved there like in '61. So I was born there, lived there till I was about 13. We thought like legally grandparents were supposed to live 3,000 miles away. Um, so we were just completely fascinated by the kids across the street, grandparents being in the same town. We're like, whoa, that's so crazy. So my parents were like, all right, maybe it's kind of time to move them back home. So they moved us to Long Island when I was 13. Um, I should say Long Island. So we did some time on Long Island, um, the North Shore. So uh, it was it was nice. Yeah, Gatsby land is what I call it. And um my parents left there in 89, and I was going to college then, so I sort of used their house in western Massachusetts in the Berkshires as home base, and I kind of bounced around. Like, I went from there to Florida, and I was like Fort Lauderdale for a couple of years, then back to Massachusetts, and then over to Bellevue, Washington on the east side of Lake Washington, and I loved it there. Um worked for Windermere out there. And then I worked for the Northwest MLS. Um, and then I kind of didn't want to get back to New York because it is always about my grass is greener, my Mercedes is bigger. And I kind of really wasn't into that. It wasn't like this really healthy environment for me. So when I had the opportunity to move back and come to Delaware, um, I was excited first because I was doing web development in the real estate industry out there and in Seattle in that area. I could not, I mean, I, 
I couldn't get into Microsoft. I was trying so hard. I just wanted to be, I don't know if you ever read the book Microsurf, but it was great. I just wanted to be a coder and I wanted people to slip flat food under a door and I wanted all the free Mountain Dews that, you know, Bill Gates provided everybody. And I just, that to me, I just wanted, and back then we called them code monkeys. I just wanted to be a code monkey so bad. I taught myself C and all these other things, but I, you know, at that time I was doing web design and development. And I mean, that was 1995, 96. Nobody was really doing it, but, you know, companies like Microsoft got like, hey, and even Adobe, they're like, hey, look, our coders can do this. It's just markup language. So, you know, this is the day of like the, the um, what that dancing hamster pages if you go back and look like (laughs) like i love now now i'm gonna put a link now i'm gonna put a link to that in the show yeah so you know i was kind of a dime a dozen out there and i had the opportunity to come back this way and uh in wilmington you had all these banks that were getting into internet and web development and i'm like hey i'll go do that so um i did not think i would still be here. That was 1997. I'm like, wow, this is the longest I've lived anywhere. And I never, I I plan to be here for a few years and then go back to the Seattle area. I think I zipped right south of Wilmington on a trip to the East Coast with Kevin and Cindy. We started, we flew into New York, but we're going to start our trip in DC. So we drove down the Jersey Turnpike Mm -hmm. and for like a brief, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) a brief moment in time, we were in Delaware. It wasn't very long before, before, yeah, before we hit Maryland. But then I did some digging. Wilmington looks like a really cool city. There's there's some rivers and I mean it must be really pretty. It is beautiful. That's that's the nice thing about it. You know, I mean I had that same experience when I was driving from like New York to um to Florida when some friends were moving. And I was like, you know, wow, Delaware? Uh, why would anyone feel I was like, yeah, not you, why would you go there? Because you know, if you look at it from the highway, it looks incredibly industrial. But I think that's sort of part of the purpose or reason. But I was like, wait a minute, you know, when I grew up by, by San Francisco, you know, Palo Alto and that stretch on 101 used to be just, you'd see nothing but trees and orchards. And now it's all industrial too. So I'm like, that's every highway. But I kind of equate it to what I felt went on in Seattle is if everybody thinks it's raining all the time, then they'll stay away. So if everybody thinks Delaware is just industrial and ugly, maybe they'll just stay away because we have topography and we have hills and we have every neighborhood has its park and green space. And I mean, it's really remarkably beautiful. There's so much um, protected land and there's so many parks. And I mean, even the county has an equestrian park. So my daughter started riding there and you know, we have a ballet company, theater companies. There's a really strong arts scene and a lot of artists. Um, we've had movies done here. Um, and of course, banks, corporations, pharmaceuticals, um, and then access to New York. I always think of coming in from the South, but on Kirkwood Highway, and there's a sign that says, welcome to Wilmington, a place to be somebody. Um, and it's nice because it's kind of like, you can, it's, you can yeah. be a big fish in a small pond, but at the same time, Delaware doesn't have six degrees of separation. <laughs> so <laughs> if you piss someone off, you know, well, you might want to move. Let's see, you. I know you attend Hofstra out on the island, which is great. I did for a couple of years. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> yeah. And your your communications was your gig and you, um, if, if you had to lay out, you know, an 18 year old Maya what what would have been what you what would you have been doing at twenty five? Oh gosh, yeah, that that's funny. I was 
I've had a lot of like loves as far as career and interest through my entire life, but music has always been one that has followed. I went to Hofstra partially because we were living on Long Island and I, I was never really good at being away from home. And it was also right there outside of New York. So Hofstra was perfect for me at the time, but you know, I don't think I was really ready for college, but I, I went in there originally as a poli-sci major, believe it or not. My plan was to go to law school. I really liked the politicians in the local area. And then all of a sudden this big like, you know, corruption scandal blew up and suddenly I said, okay, wait, these people as ethical as I thought they were, apparently are, you know, selling themselves out. And I'm like, I won't do that. I won't compromise. Um, so I switched to calm and I love radio. I worked at the Hofstra radio station. I think it was WRHU. And I had like a new age show. It was hysterical. You just got to sign whatever was open. But I loved it. It was just, it was so much fun. I met my future radio partner there and we did some shows together and, um, I also managed a band he was in. <laughs> so had things gone as planned, we actually were contacted by a Hartford station, WCCC, to uh, do the afternoon drive, which I think is where Howard had started. Howard Stern had started at one point. Um, I kind of realized that in the late 80s, early 90s, a woman in radio was not making a lot of money. I mean, radio, you weren't making a lot of money anyway. Um, and that you know, I would have to basically sacrifice any potential future life or family to have that career at that time. I mean, my my first official job offer came out of Bloomington, Indiana at $14,000 a year. So I'm like, yeah, no, this isn't for me. <laughs> so, but I did voiceovers and stuff too. So I always wanted to be a cartoon character. That's what I really wanted. It's voiceover work. Awesome. I mean, I, I think of all the gigs out there in that in that medium, I think that might be the best if you can if you can make it work. That would be the coolest thing. I, I have a lot of cartoon voices. My kids love it. And I'll do like you know South Park characters, or I'll do other characters, or I have my own. My kids are like, "Mom, mom, do the dog at the drive-through." And you know, I have all these voices, and it seems like my thirteen-year-old she has the talent too because she's like, "Hey, mom, I can do this one better than you." Yeah, I, I would love to do that, but like these days, you've got to be in Orlando. <laughs> so. <laughs> That's true. That's true. You're right. I, I admit it. I've listened to Howard Stern. I used to listen to him a lot. Not so much lately. Um, but you actually were an intern for the Howard Stern show. I was. And interns are infamous at the Stern show because sometimes they get called on air or they're doing all kinds of different things. But what is it like? And uh, you're talking early 90s, I think. So yeah. Um, yeah. Stuttering John, John Melendez was there. Johnny Mel. Yeah. Yeah. And then you had Gary and Robin and Howard. And, and oh, tell me Fred's a nice guy. Fred he is seems super like nice. nice. Fred was okay, super cool. nice. I mean, everybody cool. everybody was so nice there. I think Gary was super stressed. Um, but I mean, Howard, <laughs> I people would always ask me, like, what was he like? I mean, I, I was going to a... Um, a school in Manhattan called uh, Center for the Media Arts and the Stern Show was looking for an intern. So I applied with a bunch of kids from, or, you know, folks, adults, people from my school. And I was shocked when they decided, you know, hey, we want you. I mean, I knew who Howard was. I had listened to his show. My brother was a huge fan. I was like, well, he also kind of lived, ironically, the house that we originally moved to when we went to New York there was a house behind it that my friend Bethany lived in. And when they sold the house, the Stearns bought it. So we had left and then the Stearns bought it. And ironically, that Bethany is Bethany Frankel, like skinny girl, Bethany, um, wow. real housewives of New York. So sure. yeah. Sure. So we went to like, we were together in eighth grade and something like that, ninth grade. 
I always said that he was the nicest guy. If you were stuck at the top of Empire State Building and nobody would help you, Howard would find a way. And that was my experience. You know, everybody just loved being there. The guy is ridiculously tall. Um, I mean, I did hear kind of some stories about him in high school because apparently he was in the same Jewish youth group that I was in, in the same region. And the regional director told me the stuff the kids would do to him, which was mean, like, they go to a party on Saturday night and they'd all be like, oh, we're super tired. All right, let's drop Howard home. And then they go back out without him. So, you know, um, you kind of get an idea of who he is and why he is. Um, but it was fun. I, I remember one time John fell asleep in the office and I used to have to listen to the old shows and basically write minute by minute what was the conversation so that I could help compile the best of. And then Gary would thank me on the air on those. But Johnny had fallen asleep in the office and Mike told me that. And so I was the gopher. So you know, I'd pick up the baked potatoes or the potatoes for the baking and I'd pick up whatever at the deli downstairs. So Mike dared me to fling the door open and startle John. So I did. I'm like, what do you want from the deli? And he's like, do, 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 do. you know, he was like stuttering for five minutes. So, you know, <laughs> it was fun. <laughs> I would pick up the news or I would do whatever I could to help people around. Robin was always in her booth separate from the main studio and the guests would come in there and like, I remember, um, I remember meeting Joan Rivers in the elevator coming up one morning with Howard and she's like, oh my God, I love your shirt. It was a tie-dye shirt. I'm like, would you like it? I was like ready to give it to her. But um, yeah, I mean, it was a really cool opportunity. Unfortunately, I was doing that. I was going to school and I was bartending. So I ended up with pneumonia and I just, you know, basically just Gary got really nasty and I kind of like just took the the boom box they gave me to work on the tapes and recording at home. I just like showed up at the station one morning at like 4.30, dropped it all on his desk and left. You are very techie. The whole coding, web development, you know, been probably involved with computers since the very first ones kind of a thing, right in that sweet spot. But somewhere as we kind of work through that world, we got to get you to real estate. Yeah, they um, they intersect in an interesting way because I think I, I became fascinated with computers. I always say when I was about 10 and it was about the same time that I became fascinated with real estate. My parents, I grew up in Palo Alto, which is like the heart of Silicon Valley. So, you know, like Steve Jobs was the weird dude walking down university. There was a lot of neat stuff. Like we had family friends that were founders of big companies and and I really, I enjoyed living there. It was a lot of fun, but you didn't really realize what the area was. But um, we had technology well ahead of everyone else. And like my my cousin, ironically, my cousin who lived on Long Island and was going to Harvard, um, my parents flew him out one summer and said, okay, we bought this computer. It was an IBM PC, the original. It didn't even have like, it, it didn't have RAM. I mean, it was like, it was ROM. That was it. And a floppy. And it was like, you know, I was so excited when we got a super drive. <laughs> I was so excited. My brother was too. We were super geeks. Um, we we ended up like, you know, I, I learned a little bit of basic and we would just, you know, enough to like say hello across the entire screen in different colors. And a couple of years later, my parents sent us to like computer tutor sta- camp at Stanford for the summer. So um, that was, I think, the summer after we had moved to New York, they sent us back. Um, but it was great because we had a 300 baud modem 
slamming fast thing. Let me tell yeah. you the bing, bang, sure. bing, there, you know, the sound. <laughs> and yeah. like, you know, I'd log on a bulletin board system. You'd post a message, log off, wait a day or two, go back, see if anybody replied. You know, it was really interactive. Um, <laughs> U.S. mail was faster. To be at that level, to be right at that age range where it's uh, you were just old enough to get it and then just to grow up with it, it's been fun. There was a stigmatization, you know, stigmata that went with it back then because I was like, all right, I was cool in California, but then when I moved to New York, having a computer, I was like, oh my God, you're such a nerd. What is wrong with you? And so, you know, I was like, I kind of hit it. It was a closet thing. You know, we play video games and, you know, it's a shame that it was such a, you know, like polarizing thing then because you know, there was so much money in that area. I always said my high school was like Beverly Hills 9021, but old Westbury 11568. There was so much money there that if people had embraced technology, I mean, you know, Silicon Valley might have been on the East Coast because it was just, there was tremendous amounts of, of intelligence and money in the area. But yeah, no, so technology has always been part of my life. So what what were you doing when real estate when that little, so there has to be something. There's always a trigger. Living in Palo Alto, my parents were planning to remodel our house. They did that in the 70s, but we used to go to open houses all the time. And I loved that look inside someone's house. And then when we sold our house a few years later, I was like hiding in the pool house. Like we had a pool house with a detached kind of roof. It was a cabana. So it's like floating above and a flat roof. I was like, my best friend and I were like, looking over the top of it across the pool into the kitchen in the back of the house, watching the open house. I was like studying everything that my parents' friend, Sally Dowadoff was doing. I'm like, this is amazing. I need to do this. So it was kind of like something I always planned to do. And and I started working at, um, my mom worked as a realtor or a real estate agent in the 80s um, on Long Island. And she was just one of those like, you know, housewives, board housewives working in real estate. Like she lost her mind when she had the $6 million deal. And back then it was like, you know, you get 10% and you pay your broker a portion because there was no co-broke. This was pre-MLS and the deal fell apart. She was like in her head spending this commission. And when it fell apart, she was like, oh, F this. And she's like, I'm going to go work at a bank as a teller. She liked money that much. I was working in the office starting when I was 16 and I would the weekend receptionist and I would train the agents on technology. I would take the, you know, the floppy disk and a pencil and go, don't do this, spin it around and, you know, don't write like this. Um, and then like the first MLS books came out. So I would have to take this big stack of paper, go through it. And I would cut out the office listings and paste them into a notebook. I mean, you know, but I loved it. There was something about it that I just loved. And I, I, my life kind of always revolved around it. Like when I went to college, I'm like, well, if I get a four door car, I could get my license and I could show houses. Like even when I found my first apartment, when I was living um, in Long Beach and commuting to Hofstra, like my agent that I worked with there, her name was Sandy. She was great. Like she totally got what I wanted. And I remember I was home on spring break and she called me. She's like, Maya, I found this place. You got to come see it. I was like, Sandy, you know what I want? Make it happen. You know, I mean, it was just like any excuse to go look at houses and I was loving it. So, 
you know, it was kind of one of those things where I was working in technology. I think I was at a pharmaceutical, but I worked at AstraZeneca. It was Zeneca then, and then AstraZeneca. And then I was at First USA, which is now JP Morgan Chase. But um, I worked for Wingspan Bank. So, and I decided it was time to like, you know, I got dot-com downsized. That was like one of the first online banks. Um, I was like, okay. And my husband hated real estate because his stepmom was a realtor. So the phone always rang, but he's like, fine, you can go do it. We both don't need to be in the same industry because I was still in tech. And my second class was actually on 9-11. So, <sighs> yeah. But um, it, it was great. I mean, it to me, it was like the, the timing and serendipity, the technology came together with real estate right about then. Gotcha. Yeah, that makes sense. You know? I mean, that's when everything started. Websites arrived in real estate, right? That was right when I started in the business in 2000. And it's uh, yep. it's it's been on this trajectory ever since, it feels like. So yeah, well, I mean, I found my house in '99 on Realtor.com. I told my agent, "I'm like, you show me this house today, yeah. or someone else will." Yeah, that's great. And no one was doing that back then. <laughs> we talked about the RE.net, and I, I do have to just, just to just touch on that. The fact that this sure. group of people, Twitter was really the. It felt to me like Twitter was the glue that kind of held that group together. Right, everyone kind of embraced oh, that yeah. tool. Oh, to yeah. talk in 2008, 2007, 2008, um, mm-hmm. and you're still connected to some of those people, right? I am, you know, I, I mean, I think fondly about all of them and so many of them. I mean, I'm still connected, obviously, to like, um, you know, I mean, some of them I'm working with them now at Happy Grasshopper, right. but, you know, I, that that's how I met like Dan and that's how I met like Tara Christensen and, and Melissa Case and all these folks. But like, I mean, I just stumbled into it. I, I, I loved it. Twitter for me was so natural. Um, it was such an easy way to communicate. And with a BlackBerry curve and that keyboard, I could type without looking. So, I mean, I had a velocity of like 200 tweets a day. I used to, Twitter used to like, <laughs> they would like suspend me for an hour. They're like, too many tweets, you're not real. We used to have hashtag jail back then. But yeah, I mean, that led to so many amazing opportunities in this network of folks. And I mean, I found what Kim, um, Kim Sam and McCurdy, I'm trying to think what name she is now, but Kim was the first person I saw. And I was like, I like what she's doing. And I kind of used her as my model. And she's a doll. And just, I kind of was later to the scene than a lot of them, like Heather Elias and um, Derek Overbay and like Joe Farrar. It was just, everybody was kind of already there. And I kind of like came in um, on the tail end. But I had some amazing friends. Like I, I used to love hanging out with Rob Hahn debates. Like, I mean, there were, I remember sitting on the front porch and he was like, I think there was an NAR was in San Diego or something that year. And I'm like, Oh my God, I should just jump on a plane. These conversations that I'm missing out on are insane, you know? And, um, it was just such an amazing time and people, and you know, using that new form of communication and, and connecting with people. Um, I mean, I got so much business out of it, but more than that, I think it enriched my life so much, you know? I mean, I wouldn't know you. I, I, there's so many people that I wouldn't know. Um, I really miss Twitter, and it's not that I left it. I still feel it is the best social media platform. I um I broke my hip in 2011 and my arm and I couldn't type. I had like a Windows phone and you had to slide up the keyboards. And of course I could only use one hand. It was like completely, I blew out my left forearm. Like it was 
bone slurry they used in a bridge and I could like non-weight bearing and I'm a lefty for four months. Some of my friends would remember I had Sherry Moritz at the time take go with me to New York for Inman. I was like completely out of my mind. Like I was out of the hospital for like two weeks. It was the stupidest thing ever. Um, but I love it. <laughs> that's such a group, great group yeah, of people. Look, I mean, how can you miss an Inman? Right. I agree. And that's about when I started 2011. So <laughs> yeah, by the way, congratulations oh, okay. on you. Right. 2019 influencer. Yeah, Goku. No. I mean, innovator. Yeah. That's, it's cool. Embarrassing and weird. It's awesome. So. No, well deserved. Well deserved. You and I were early too with the RPR thing. Yeah, too. That's true too. I'm I'm still yeah. in fact I got off an RPR call just before we started recording this episode. So I uh I'm a huge fan. So and I know you were you're still talking about RPR. I love RPR. I, I mean I I got approved to teach back in twenty twelve. So it was just right around I think the same time. And I think one year I got to be the replacement on the national webinar. Nice. And that was fun because it was like, I remember March 5th, 2015, we had a snow day. So the kids were home and the internet just froze on me. I mean, I they used to use my webinar, you know, my, you know, you had to do the tryout yep. webinar. Yep. They used to use mine as the example for people. And there, I mean, the one big opportunity, anything that could go wrong went wrong. <laughs> That's great. But I love RPR. I think there's so much more there. Uh, uh, get, get the mobile app if you're listening <laughs> and, and, and learn yeah. the mobile app. It's life-changing. Um, yeah. So I want to talk about a little bit about Happy Grasshopper. Look, love Dan Stewart. Saw Dan and Celeste oh uh, when they first cranked things up at Inman, Startup Alley, right? Yeah. So uh, you're yeah. now doing some work with them. Talk about that. And I, I want you to talk about the uh, Facebook group a little bit. Um, oh, what sure. to say now. That's very what cool. Yeah. Now. Yeah. No, Dan's amazing. I've always liked Dan. I, I think I met him right before or after Startup Alley. I think it was like 2011 or something. And um, I remember being, and then 2012, seeing him in Orlando too. Dan is just, he has this energy and he's, his talent, his ability to just, the way he uses words in his writing and how he communicates is art. You know, I admire it so much. Like he can say anything and it sounds wonderful. But, you know, what I like most is Dan always talks about, you know, express sincere concern. And he really, he loves people. He he really cares about everybody. He really listens and so few people actively listen. You know, they're thinking about what they're going to say next. Um, so he was looking for a writer last summer. And I thought, oh, gosh, I would love that. And Dan and I kind of like were ships in the night in the whole scene. So like as he was kind of coming in, I was kind of going out with my accident and everything else. So, you know, we knew each other, but like I don't think he knew anything I had done before. Um, and that's fine because with my brand and, you know, the, a lot of assumptions that went on with who my Ari Guru was versus Maya, that's, you know, they're two separate entities. Right. Um, so that was great. So I, I tried for the job because I've honestly been trying to get out of real estate for a while. I, it, I just lost my heart for it. It's just been so much change. So I'm, I'm in referral um, and I just wanted to train agents. So that wasn't happening. So I kind of wanted to get back to corporate America and I had been interviewing for a couple of things. So I talked to Dan, I submitted some writing samples and he's like, okay, yeah, I liked it. So I have learned so much being there and it's so great. I mean, what a great group of people. And what we do there is basically we, we help agents create conversations, connect with their database. You have to really be engaged with people and you have to be generous 
genuine. And and I've always felt that authenticity and being genuine the, were the keys to any kind of success. And that's everything that Happy Grasshopper is about. I was working with one of our newer writers, who you might know, Colin. I do know Colin. <laughs> yes, you do, Malafonte. Yeah. Um, uh, yesterday, and I, I feel like, you know, sometimes we all get at that point where we're like, we just don't know how to take the first step. Yeah. And we I've been trying to get him to help me with some content writing. And I'm like, Colin, you can't do it wrong. Just write. I was like, the first version is never the one you use. I was like, don't expect perfection. You are not going to be Dan without a lot of experience. <laughs> you write it and then you go back and you edit and you work on it. You know, that it's it's such an art. You know, with everything that was happening with the pandemic, we had a lot of members that were affected. I mean, I, I don't think that real estate agents, as you well know, working in title, real estate agents tend to kind of, you know, they're usually 30 to 90 days down the pipeline in business, but you still kind of have that constant level of freak out, like what's going to happen. So I think everybody pumped the brakes as soon as everything started going in March. And they're like, where can I save money? You know, because I remember doing this too as a real estate agent, like, okay, I need to cut some things. What am I cutting off my budget? And um, so we're like, hey, agents need us more now than ever. So how can we give them what they need? So we opened a whole section of free content and we started getting people that wanted, you know, we told them too, hey, if there's something that you need that's not here, message us, let us know. And I remember one one of them was like an agent wanted a re-engagement message like she did. So we had one of the writers do it and she's like, I don't like this. And I'm like, oh God, like I'm not at the level of the senior writers. So I'm like, well, let me try it. I wrote it. She's like, oh my gosh, I love this. This is perfect. I kind of tried to channel Dan. I was like, you know, kind of a little folksy touch to it. And she loved it. She was so happy. And we realized that there are a lot of agents that don't know what to say with the pandemic and, you know, the uncertainty in the financial market, although it seems like real estate's fine everywhere and doing gangbusters in a lot of places. I mean, Pennsylvania, they were shut down for the entire time, like not essential. And I'm 10 minutes from the border. So, and I have a license there too. They let them loose and one brokerage in Pittsburgh in one week sold 525 oh. houses. So don't tell me that. Yeah. Real estate is shaky. Um, But, you know, we realized that these agents, they needed something. And and it's the hardest thing is, what do you say? What do you say now? And, and, you know, it it was a conversation. It was like, okay, how do we share this with people? How are we there to help them? So that's where the group came from. Like, you know, how do we express sincere concern? How do we help people understand that message? And maybe even talk about the difficult things. We talked about the riots um, and the protests and the rioters had nothing to do with the protests generally. We, We talked about that on Monday and, you know, it's having a conversation, and that's really what it's all about. I highly recommend heading off to that group, joining it, getting involved in those conversations. It's a great opportunity to get, yeah, to get a little closer to what's happening. Um, in my opinion, with some of the best writers in the industry, so that's that's Aww, very cool. Thank yeah, you. super nice. I think everybody, you need to write. There's something very cathartic in writing, yeah. um, and it's. You need to exercise it. It's part of your brain. It's creativity. People seem to be so afraid of it. Um, But it's so, I just, I think it's important. I think everybody, it's therapy. I mean, that's where blogging came from, web blogs and journaling. And I think that, you know, one of the problems in the real estate industry is that um, I think, you know, I was, I was told very often 
early on in blogging and that I had to take something down or I wasn't allowed to express an opinion that the broker didn't real, you know, agree with. And that was really upsetting to me because at one point, and I mean, I, I see problems inherent in the system. I think there's a lot of self-preservation and um, you're not allowed to speak out. But at the same time, you know, if I wanted to file an ethics violation against an agent or a broker for lacking, you know, failing to supervise their sales agents, which is in Delaware, that's a legitimate complaint. I mean, that's a state licensed complaint. But, you know, I have to pay $500? Are you kidding me? Like, it's, it's a, there's a problem. Um, you know, I think that, like, for instance, Happy Grasshopper customers, I think they're all about service. That's what they get. They want to, they, they do this because they love it. They're business people or they're naturals, but whatever they are, they know they have to connect with their clients, but they genuinely love what they do. And, you know, the way that their industry is represented matters to them. That's why they want quality content. That's why they want to be part of what to say now. And, you know, it's, it's just, it's a lot, kind of a lost art. You know, I feel like it, it shouldn't be called sales. Consumers think sales is a bad thing. And it, I actually just wrote a whole paper at Penn State for this, for my uh, integrated social science Bachelor of Science, uh, like, you know, I'd like to collect college experiences, apparently. <laughs> um, but, you know, the problem is that there's a, a lack of understanding of what this is. It's a service industry, you know, you, what you do is a service. What what a realtor does is a service. And, you know, what we do at Happy Grasshopper is a service. It's, you know, we care. We are here to serve you and your needs. We're not, you know, the, if everybody thinks you're out to get them to sign a contract as a realtor, they just want my money. That's the, the seems to be the consumer perception. And I think that some of the peripheral industries that, that feed off of real estate potentially, they help propagate that. I mean, I look at this whole iBuyer thing, because I heard you talking about that on one of the other podcasts. And I go, how long is it be till they call that predatory? You know, well, some, some are calling it predatory now. Yeah, I think that it can be. I mean, I think that if people make their informed decision and understand what they're Correct. doing and they're in a great equity position and they don't care, you know, to them, you know, it's a million dollar house and it's all equity. And they're like, well, the hassle that everything. All right, that's fine. We'll take 6% less or 10% less, whatever. To them, that's worth it. You can always make more money. I always told clients that. You know, sometimes, but you know, sellers and, and homeowners don't understand that, you know, if you push a high price, you may stigmatize and get less. So it's better to like kind of be that two to 3% above market and be willing to negotiate. But if they're moving somewhere else, if they're going to buy something, well, you know, take a little bit of a loss and get your house sold because you have more power to buy on the other end without a contingency. Yeah. You know, you're going to save more <laughs> on the other, you know, Look, that's, and they don't get that's it. what a great realtor does. I mean, really lay out because as a consumer that only does this once every seven to 10 years nowadays, you don't really mm -hmm. understand how all those pieces of the puzzle fit together and the people who get it, the realtors who get it, um, they're really good at just slowly putting that puzzle together 
so someone understands how it works. And that's awesome. I love that. I love the way that you talk about that. Very passionate about that, Maya. I love this industry. That was where I saw myself now. If you had asked me this five years ago, I would have told you I would have been working for a major brand and training. I mean, before my accident, Steve Passanelli had um, passed off an opportunity at Sotheby's for interactive uh, director of interactive media. And he had said, hey, Maya, you might be interested. So I had gotten in touch with them and I was in the process of interviewing and there was this mix up where I was, thought it was they were calling me and I was supposed to call them. And then I had my ice skating accident, poof, dropped off the map. And the next thing I know is, you know, they've gone with a better qualified candidate. I'm like, really who? <laughs> <laughs> like, at the time, I don't think there was anybody. But um, I would have I would have expected to be in some sort of a training or education position. Yeah. Um, I was hoping maybe to get in on something with RPR or NAR or even like one of the brokerages I've been with. And it just didn't happen. Um, maybe because I'm in a small market. Maybe because of the people thinking that Maya Ari Guru as a brand is the same person as Maya Paveza. And it's not. I completely segregated that. But I mean, like, once again, I was ahead of the curve. And, um, you know, it, it, it's a hard pill to take, but yeah, I'm really passionate about it. I want people, I want pe- I want consumers to have a positive experience and to really feel like my real estate agent was amazing and they helped me so much through this process. And, and part of the job of doing it well is it's supposed to look effortless, you know, and when you've got co-brokes on the other side, like I do right now that in the past that <laughs> weren't being supervised and not trained and then they make huge mistakes, then you end up with someone, and this is my first and only in my entire career, um, like lawsuit. Like, really? Like, I, 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 yeah, okay. Because I'll tell you what, I've never been in a crawl space in my life. <laughs> That's all I got to say. Never in my life. Don't get in trouble. Don't get in trouble. So, Maya, I've had you here well past uh, the time I requested of you. I'm going to, let me ask you the same. Oh, you have a life. That's oh, fine. No. I get it. <laughs> Let me, Dan doesn't care what I do as long as I get my work done. <laughs> He's great. That's awesome. Best boss ever. You, yes. you remote worker, you. Um, let me uh, let me ask you this question. It's the same question I've asked everybody. That that that. What's that one piece of advice you would give a new agent? Oh my gosh! Oh gosh! Oh gosh! You know, I was like, "Oh, he's gonna get me with this zinger." I have to think about it. I have to think about it, and I totally forgot it. I was like writing answers, and I'm like thinking about things. No, honestly, I think that I thought about that, and I think that what I would say is, you know, a couple of things. The first thing is, it's okay to say, "I don't know." Mm-hmm. Let me find out, because when someone says, "I know," or if if they you know, vain expertise, that's a risky place to be. You know, I think everybody can, they know, people know if you're like authentic, they know if you're full of, pardon me, crap. But if you can say, I don't know, let me find out and get back to you. I mean, seriously, if there's like, that's expressing sincere concern, like you need to let people know that you're there for them. You're not there for you, that their interests come first. I would say to a new agent, that's the first thing and the most important thing. And learn to say no. Um, Real estate agents tend to be super competitive, even with themselves. And they don't say no and they run out of sort of bandwidth and time. And I think that'll lead to burnout. So, you know, you have to have balance and you have to be able to say no. Don't ever lose your integrity and your ethics. It's the it's the 
biggest and most important thing is be who you are and be good and be generous. And just know that if you do the right thing, you're going to have success. Maya, if someone wants to reach out to you, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? <laughs> I would probably say Twitter. I mean, social media wise, I would say I would probably pay attention to Twitter at Maya, M-A-Y-A-R-E guru. Um, and that, or otherwise, you know, look for me at the what to say now group for, you know, facebook.com slash group slash what to say now, I think is what it yeah. is. I'll have to, I'm sure you can throw a link in there too. Have so it, have it in the yeah, notes. we would we would love like, any questions that people have, you know, we've got myself and Brian rail. He's also a former agent and that's what sets, I think happy grasshopper apart from a lot of the companies. I always had a problem with all these companies that were selling to the industry, but had never had anybody who worked in the industry. When you have somebody who's been in the trenches, you really have a different perspective and an understanding you know, because we know what the psychology is of a realtor. We understand what they're going through. So it really makes it easier for us to meet their needs and do it well. So, you know, um, find me over there. What to say now? Ask us questions. Interrogate us. Um, and, you know, look for, we always have webinars coming up. And if if you have the opportunity to see Dan Stewart speak, because I think he's going to be doing a bunch of brokerage speaking coming up, or if you don't want him, he's amazing. I mean, like, I there are few speakers that are as entertaining, inspiring, and engaging as yeah. Dan. So, and you know, I, I had him on a <laughs> webinar a couple about a month ago. I listened. Yeah, I listened to the podcast too last year. Yeah. I loved it. I was like, Phil's killing Dan's, it. You're Dan's awesome. Amazing. Man. Well, Maya, you're amazing. Yeah. Thank you so much for uh, for sharing your story. It was awesome. And uh, yeah, right. I'm looking forward to paying attention to the group. I'll be in that group. Uh, and uh, I'm always watching my RE guru as well. So. <laughs> uh, well, you know, I still might have a few tricks up go. my sleeve. I, you know, I mean, I'm opinionated. And now that my license is going into referral status, perhaps I might share more of them. <laughs> but I'd love to take Rob Hahn on a debate about MLSs. Oh, a throwdown so, for Rob. It's awesome. Here we go. <laughs> oh, yeah. I love him. He's one of my uh, besties, or used to be. So, Bill, thank you so thank much. You. You're awesome. Thank you for listening to the Real Estate Sessions podcast. To leave a review or rating, go to ratethispodcast.com slash RE Sessions. You can also subscribe to the podcast at your favorite podcast listening app. Finally, you can go to the realestatesessions.com and subscribe to our email newsletter and be notified whenever a new episode is released. Music.